What is going on, everybody? Welcome to In Their 20s. This is the podcast with the best advice with your host, Landon Campbell. We made it to episode 90, everybody. Congratulations. Thank you so much for continuing to support the show. You know, we have featured some amazing guests on In Their 20s, and each of them have joined our show to talk about what they did or are currently doing in their 20s. For episode 40, we spoke with Jason Calacanis. For 50, we had on Steve Wozniak. 60, we had David Sachs. For 70, we had Jason of Beverly Hills. And for 80, we had the mayor of Miami. For 90, we decided to invite on a current 20-something who I personally have looked up to for a while now. We spoke with Megan Loist. She's the founder of Gen Z VCs, which is a community centered around empowering the next generation of leaders in venture capital. Megan has grown this community from nothing into a global community of over 13 thousand members since november of 2020 she's also the youngest investor at lear hippo where she has sourced and helped lead seven investments working with 20 portfolio companies i know i say this about every interview but i really enjoyed this one our conversation covered some exciting topics we spoke about megan's tips on building community her favorite and least favorite things about venture capital and why 20 somethings should be bullish on the blockchain Two more things before we dive in. I want to say thank you so much to Jay Rilal for introducing myself to Megan. Yo, without you, this interview would have not been possible. And also for our listeners in Chicago, if you haven't heard already, we recently launched the In Their 20s Chicago Talent Collective, where you can join for absolutely free to learn about full-time and freelance opportunities in the city. You can join at www.inther20s.palette.com. All right, without further ado, we're going to dive in with Megan Voice to hear about her best advice for people in their 20s. Super excited for this. Really appreciate you joining. Oh, of course. I'm, I'm excited to, to dive in. And as someone who is currently in their 20s, I hope I provide like good perspective here. And like, you know, you have that like magic moment where things click for you. Of course. For me. It was sitting, it was sitting at All Rays, this like conference surrounded by women in venture capital and hearing Emily Weiss speak about building Glossier uh, and, you mm-hmm. know, a brand for women built by a woman who is, you know, just like embodies all the things that I think you like want to see when you're like a young kid growing up and like loving makeup and like seeing how it transforms and changes you. And also how she worked with female investors to build that business. I was like, I know what I want to do. I want to be the one that works with Emily Weiss. Uh, um, and so then I sent all my cold emails and Andrea Hippo was one of them. And, uh, you know, here I am. Uh, it's crazy because you've kind of become that person for a lot of people, I bet, um, who they totally. see what you're doing in the, in the space. So that must, be, that must feel pretty good. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's, it's definitely been like a wild journey, like yeah. in every way, shape and form. Um, yeah. I mean, I've always loved like mentorship and working with young people. I feel like the rise of Gen ZBCs has been just like, just a perfect fit for me and like how I totally. want to do my free time. Cause again, Gen ZBCs is not my full-time job. It's what I do in all of my free time on the weekends and evenings. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have to love doing it. And I like love working with students. I love thinking about impact. I love just like making, you know, like starting interesting conversations that I think need to happen, but like don't happen in the context of like your every day. You have to be like, you have to think big, think bold, and also think about how you empower others along the way. And so Gen ZBCs give me the perfect sort of avenue to be able to do that. 
Uh, no, that's great. I, I just spoke with someone um, recently that gave some interesting advice because, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of young people, like we're trying to find that thing that we're passionate about, you know, and everybody always thinks it has to be one singular passion. But um, what he said, he said, you know, if you find uh, multiple interests and try out multiple things in your 20s, and then you'll find the things that you can obsess over, um, you know, those obsessions can then become passions because I feel like the best passions are ones that like, yeah, I mean, on the good days are great, but like you also have to love doing it on the bad days too. Um, and I totally see like that in Gen Z VC with what you've built. Like, I mean, you love doing it and that's super genuine and authentic. And I feel the same, you know, with the podcast and I don't think every day has to be like perfect. I mean, and building something cool, but you just got to love it no matter what. Totally. And I think like in a world, like, like my full-time job obviously is in investing Mm -hmm. venture capital is an industry where sometimes it takes like five to 10 years to see Mm -hmm. your impact and how good Mm -hmm. you are. With Gen ZBCs, it's a mid, it's like it's so immediate and tangible. Oh, totally. Like we launched our marketplace again like two weeks ago, uh, and we've saved founders five million dollars. That's, That's like insane. an entire seed round in just <laughs> two weeks. Really crazy. Um, it's like like I spent months of my time every weekend, like talking to partnerships teams, talking to founders, understanding what they needed and like what were mm-hmm. the gaps in their current start. Like that is like real intangible impact. Uh, and so like it matters. Like I, even though it was like a lot of time for me and at, at times was it like really tough. And I was like, God, I like, I think I need to like take a step back and like do other yeah. things. But like at the, in the end, it's always all worth it. Like you were like, we are democratizing the startup stack for Gen Z founders. Like what is more important than that? And it's not even no, just it is so founders, cool. it's, it's diverse founders. It's first time founders. It's, it's like, it's everything. Um, so yeah, I'm getting on a tangent, but like, I love it. No, I love the passion. Yeah. I think that this is a perfect time to start, but like also like that, yeah, that $5 million number is insane. And uh, you're right. I mean, you just launched this like a few weeks ago, so, um, ago. it's probably going to hit like way higher, but, uh, no, that's really, really exciting. Proud of you. Thank you. Thanks. Awesome. So yeah, Megan, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about your time in BC. We're going to get to, um, you know, this amazing, um, community that, that you've been able to build, but, with my interviews, I love to start at the beginning. So let's go all the way back to college. I saw that you were super, super involved um, during your time at Boston College, um, yeah. Honor Society, Smart Woman Securities Group, Pulse, Finance Academy, very, very busy. And I relate to a lot of that because, you know, I also, I mean, I attended internships when I was in college. And I want to hear directly from you, though, how, what advice do you have for young people when it comes to staying busy, taking on a lot of different projects, but also staying focused? You need to just try everything and figure out what you like and what you don't like. And I think how those align with your goals, like for me, Boston College was insanely expensive. Like Mm -hmm. my parents almost had to pull me out my freshman year because we couldn't afford it. And I had like all these loans and stuff. My primary goal was I was like, I'm going to this great school so I can get the best possible job out of college. That was like my only objective. My superlative that I got my freshman year uh, from like my entire hall was uh, most likely to be found in business casual because there was not a single day of the week where you couldn't find me like wearing a suit, coming back from like a networking event, meeting people, applying for internships. And I would like, I mean, my, my internship that I got sophomore year, it was a job that was really op- only open to seniors. They weren't looking for anyone junior. I literally showed up at their door with a cover letter because they were ignoring me and I didn't fit the qualifications. Did they hire me in the end? Yes, they did because I can be very convincing, but like I needed to figure out what my, you know, what I was really passionate about and what I wanted to do very quickly because I didn't feel like I had any margin for error. And like my margin, my margin for error and my time to make mistakes was in college. And so that's why I did 
everything. I mean, I worked at the school newspaper. I worked with the finance academy. I did all the investment banking information sessions you could even imagine. Uh, my I did girls who invest, which is like more on the investing side. Same with smart women securities, uh, and you know my classes too. It was a mixture of like pure tech and also like information systems and also finance. And I knew that getting experience for me was going to be the best indicator of what like you know finding that thing that I wanted to do after graduation and making sure that it was a good fit for me because I think something I've learned over the past five years since like. Just, just in general, it's like I, it's I'm someone that doesn't fit in a mold, uh, and I think that's the case for a lot of Gen Zers and young people generally. Where like our generation just loves to go against the grain and do things our own way and challenge assumptions. Uh, and so I would have been miserable in banking. Would it have Would it have achieved that goal of getting like a really really great job out of college? Yes, but it would not have been the right job for me. And the right job for me evidently ended up being General Atlantic. And I found that because I did like three other internships beforehand that pointed me towards, okay, I don't wanna do a hedge fund and do public markets. Okay, I don't wanna do just financial services investing. I wanna do something more broad. And then, you know, I found GA. So it was all just like a margin of, it was all just trial and error in like my freshman and sophomore years in particular. So I think the earlier you start and the more curious you are, the better off you'll be your senior year as you figure out what you're gonna do afterwards. Great advice. I want to make sure that listeners really understand two important things that you said there. Um, you need to try a lot of stuff in college. You know, trial and error is a perfect way to coin it. Um, not don't always go after things that you think you love. You got to see. You know, maybe try some things that you don't like to understand. Uh, you know what you'll be happy doing. Uh, so I totally think that's wonderful advice. And also, a no today doesn't have to mean a no tomorrow as well. Um, I think that's a huge point. People get discouraged when they get a rejection or turned down from a job offer club, whatever it might be. Um, but I can clearly see how persistent you are. And uh, I, I think persistency and consistency always pays off. Um, so I, I have a good, I have a good story there yeah. too, actually. Um, my, my freshman year, like it, this was like month two of my freshman year. I got a, I basically networked my way into a super day for JP Morgan's like investment banking program. Mm -hmm. I was way underqualified, but I like hustled. I met all the right people. I did all the things and got myself a super day. And I ended up not getting the internship and I was like devastated about it. I was like, this is the best possible opportunity I ever could have gotten. This was like my dream, JP Morgan's investment banking program as a, an 18 year old. Uh, but because I didn't get that opportunity, I did the Girls Who Invest program that summer. Like I ended up applying and I got in uh, and I was one of the 30 initial people in that cohort. And that program changed the entire trajectory of my life. I don't know if I would be an investor or working in VC if it wasn't for, for Girls Who Invest, because they were the ones that opened my eyes to asset management as a freshman in college. Uh, and I had my first internship in asset management. I got to meet many, many women who were doing asset management and showed me that there was a world beyond investment banking. And because I learned that my freshman year, I started pursuing more internships in asset management. If I had done investment banking at JP Morgan, that like opportunity that I was wildly excited about, like you'd probably be taught, like we probably wouldn't even be chatting today because I'd be working in, like I graduated in 2019. So I'd probably be an analyst or an associate in investment bank and hating my life. Uh, so like, you know, I think like the other, the other like big, like it is totally okay to fail. And more often than not, when one door closes, another one opens. You might just not see it right away, uh, but it's you. You can't get discouraged. You have to just absolutely run through walls, and that's like, it's like founder energy, right? Like you need to just like yep. go after what you want, uh, no matter what. 
I love that JP Morgan story because I mean, this is something that you wanted so badly. I mean, can you imagine though? I mean, your whole life would have been different and, and everything that you've done with Gen ZVC, I mean, probably would have not okay. even existed. Um, so I don't like to say things happen for a reason, but I love to say shit happens. What are you going to do about it? Um, so instead of like letting that ruin your life, you decided to find a new route. Um, and of course, <laughs> it ended up working well for you. Um, so now let's talk about when you first found out about venture capital. Um, I know you're probably always getting the question, you know, your favorite thing about the industry when you got started. I want to flip it for you. What's maybe something that you despised about VC before you got started? Um, and of course, that's going to help us pivot into what you're doing to help VC. Yeah, I mean, I think like there's no there's no substitute for experience. Like I think in venture, you need to see, like you have to develop a filter over time. And as someone, I'm an Aries, I'm like someone who's just very naturally impatient. Like you have to just see a lot to build a filter as to like, what is interesting? What are the roadblocks that you want to look out for? How can you help founders? Like to help founders, you need to actually experience things mm -hmm. uh, and be able to like, I mean, I, I think the, the VC job, you're like the ultimate coach. Like you need to have seen things to be able to guide founders towards X, Y, Z. Uh, and so I think like when you're starting out on day one as someone who is, you know, when I started at Lear Hippo, I was the youngest on my team by a factor of a decade. Like I had a lot of learning to do very, very quickly. And I had never really seen any early stage businesses. At General Atlantic, we were doing series B plus type of rounds, which like it's an entirely different question set. It is an entirely different like mode of thinking around like what it, what are the the metrics and things that you look for or just like what are the like, yeah like I mean how do you evaluate businesses it was entirely different so I felt like I was starting from scratch uh, and it took a few months to like ramp up uh, it wasn't really like necessarily a disappointment but like it's just a reality of this business like you need to kind of see a lot to I think like be like to to really like get the investing thing but then on the flip side actually be a helpful founder for partners uh in today's market there is just so much capital out there that like you need to be dangerous and awesome and exceptional in a lot of different ways and oftentimes that is by building some type of set of expertise that's helpful in a boardroom and for me interestingly enough like a lot of that is actually like purely like gen z expertise community building socials like i work with a bunch of our portfolio companies on their tiktok strategy right wow. like i never would have thought that would have been something that is like actually a value add and a differentiator for me on my team and for our companies but it totally is and so is like the way that i think about and approach press and social media and like relationships i've built with reporters like all that kind of stuff has helped me but i did not have that on day one and the community building piece has been materially helpful in that regard but you know i think you need to just kind of like see see a lot of stuff to to get from point A to point B. And so for impatient young people who want to just like go, 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 uh, you need to kind of just take a step back sometimes and listen and learn and you'll get there eventually. Yeah, experience is the best teacher and great advice you just shared for VC. I don't think that's just has to be relevant to the VC industry. I think yeah. that your first or second job um, out of college a lot of times, I mean, you know, you're going to want to make a mark right away, but you're starting at the bottom of the totem pole. So you got to find strategic ways to really build a presence, build a brand, find the things that you're good at. Um, so you can really be that point person that people look to. Um, so, you know, you've had all this experience, as you mentioned, community building, um, really knowing the mind of the Gen Z, um, really understanding, you know, how you can bring value to companies through marketing, social, et cetera. Um, but how do you actually like share that with the public? So this is kind of my question about building your personal brand through all the experience that you've had, through the expertise that you've built. How did you kind of show that in a public light? Writing has unlocked everything for me. 
And I was not an English major in college or anything. Uh, I just, I love writing for some reason. I don't know. And like the reason Gen CBCs exists is actually an article. It, it, it stemmed from just like oh. curiosity and insight that I had. Uh, when I started Lear Hippo, again, I was the youngest on my team by a factor of a decade. And I also had like no friends at the time. No, no investor friends. I was living with my parents. It was the height of COVID. This was like September of 2020. And your job as a young person in venture more often than not is to like be like the boots on the ground, go meet with companies, go to events, like find deal flow, all those things. And that was really, really hard to do as someone who is like an outsider in every way. Mm -hmm. And like, I didn't have a bunch of connections with investors or VCs. Like that was actually my least favorite question that I got in job interviews because I knew it wasn't indicative of my success. It was indicative of like what my network looked like. And it wasn't anything special. Uh, I'd met some founders through GA and uh, had done like a lot of thematic deep, deep dive work, but like, I didn't have this crazy network that I think a lot of found VCs in particular optimize for when they're hiring. Uh, and so my thinking was like, okay, my value add to my team today, oftentimes, like it was a lot of like Gen Z companies, right? Like, oh, Megan, you're the target audience. Like, what are your thoughts here? Like, you'll have a unique perspective. I was like, there have to be other young people at other funds that are just like me, started their jobs, don't have a lot of connections, but just want to like meet people and level up and like trade notes and do all the things. Uh, there have to be other people, but like there, they don't, that doesn't exist anywhere. And so I turned to Twitter and again, I had 50 followers when I started at Lyra Hippo. So it was not, I did not have a huge platform. And I was just like, Hey, like any Gen Z investors investing in Gen Z companies, like, who are you? I want to meet you and just like compile key stories. And so that led to 70 conversations with my peers all over the world. Like I just spent like two weeks from like 6 PM to 10 PM, just like talking to people and hearing about their favorite companies, their favorite trends, where do they see the world going? And then I wrote this article. It was like Gen ZBCs weigh in top trends, favorite companies. That was when I coined the term Gen ZBC. Uh, and so it's like, I basically created this category unknowingly, but the important insight that came out of it was like, it was a very successful article. Thousands of people read it. Microsoft shared it. TechCrunch shared it. And again, I was a, I was an, a basically a no-name analyst that had done literally nothing, but <laughs> uncover this insight that like, huh, Gen Z has a really unique perspective on the world and nobody's paying attention. But it rose, it rose awareness around two things. A, like nobody knew that Gen Zers were even old enough to be doing investing or that they were working at funds. That was like something that was a key key and core insight. The second piece was that like people just genuinely care what young people are doing and thinking. Uh, and so I hit on both of those, but then the community started actually because all the people I interviewed were in the same boat as me. They were like, I just, they were like, who else are you meeting through this article? Like, I also have no friends and I'd love to meet people. And so like the core, the core piece of the community or like that core, like pain point that I was solving was actually friendship at the end of the day. Um, publicly, it was like this, this interest, this innate interest in the Gen Z consumer and Gen Z worker and what that looks like. But it was for our generation of investors, it was friendship that grew the community from 30 to 1,000 in four days and then 3,000 a month later and now over 14,000. And so writing was what unlocked that for me. And I do also think for young investors in particular and just young people in general, like writing can unlock a lot of different things around brand building and you don't have to be siloed in one thing, right? Like I think today, I'm a Gen Z influencer, but I'm also an influencer who talks and does a lot of writing in Web3. Like my Metaverse article saw nearly a billion impressions in the first like month that I wrote it. And that led to speaking opportunities and things, you know, deal flow, like deals that I've done 
all from just writing about my perspective as a Gen Zer and how I think about the metaverse. It was a 26 page manifesto. And then I wrote a 29 page manifesto on TikTok and I'm writing more articles. Like you can constantly reinvent yourself through writing because it is your unique vantage point that you can synthesize information from different people, from different sources. Um, you don't need years of experience to write good articles or good work or to be able to uncover interesting things. It all stems from just who you are and what your, you know, your vantage point is. And so um, writing has been literally everything to unlocking opportunity for me. It's not just writing, or at least this is my just um, impression. It's not just writing what you do well. It's really building in public because every piece that you write, it's really you figuring it out. It's you trying to show, I mean, you know, that you're learning as you're writing and uh, you want to enlighten other people. So I think Gen Z VC, it's kind of a combination of a few things. I mean, it was, it was you looking to break into venture capital, you know, kind of make your mark in the space, look to, as we were speaking about earlier, you know, kind of like ways that you can stand out, but then also you were looking to help other people uh, who were also going through similar issues or like trying to figure out, you know, how to learn more about this industry. So I just think that this community you've built is such a strong and beautiful thing. And we can kind of get to details of this. You just mentioned over 14,000 members of Gen Z VC, which is phenomenal. You guys are building events, resources, summits, content. Um, so you just kind of gave us the origin story of how you were able to build this. Um, I have kind of a twofold question for you. I'm curious um, what it takes to make a community work and just click and make sense. Um, and then my follow-up to that would be, you know, what also um, can go into making a community not work out? Um, so again, we kind of always probably go over the question of like, you know, why it's been successful, but I'd love to explore, kind of give our listeners the best advice. Um, <laughs> what keeps the community from becoming successful? Totally. I think like, it's like, it's like any good product. You need to make people feel special and be solving mm -hmm. an actual pain point and problem for people. And I think actually the reason that Gen Z VCs works is because I never set out to start a community. I literally just set out to solve a problem for myself and my friends. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't, I, I didn't even call it a community in the early days. I was like, Hey guys, I started a Slack group. Yay. Like come, come hang out. Uh, I had no intention that like this little group of like 30 people that I brought together and did like a zoom call with that they would spread it organically, that it would actually be adding value to people. And it just did organically. Like I didn't do anything crazy. I just did like a public post on Twitter and, and LinkedIn being like, Hey, I started this Slack group for young people in VC. We're all learning together. You should come join. It'll be fun. And then, you know, again, four days later, read a thousand people. Um, it was like instant product market fit, instant virality. Uh, and also because like in, in terms of like what makes a community work, I think a, it's like, it spreads entirely organically. Gen ZBC is like, I'm basically the marketing engine tweeting on Twitter, posting things on Slack, the new initiatives that we post, but more than anything, it's really like the, the individual interactions that you find in the community that helps mm -hmm. grow it. Uh, and that's because we have all the right stakeholders around the table to make that happen. So those types of moments are, you know, founders finding their first investors or their first angel investors that they bring on their cap table, founders finding their co-founders in Gen ZBCs. It's young people learning about venture capital for the first time or finding a job in venture or finding a job at a startup for the first time. Like we have so many different touch points because the community from day one has been intentionally very inclusive. And so it's called Gen ZBCs, but the 14,000 plus people in the community, it's a combination of young investors, founders, angel investors, operators, students. And the reason it all works is because we have this like native flywheel 
where people are constantly finding these magic moments. And it doesn't have to be me reaching out to them and be like, welcome to Gen ZVCs. Thank you for joining. What is your, like, it just happens organically because people introduce themselves. You see the community guidelines and you know, like you're here to learn and you're here to help other people um, in a very like non-selfish way. And so I think like, honestly, like one of the key learnings is just like setting, setting that, like setting those expectations in the very early days. And for me, that was our mission statement. Like, I think people identify with Gen ZVCs as a community, but also a much broader movement and initiative. And it's been called a movement in the press, right? Like it is young investors coming of age and looking to make an impact on the world and doing it through, through initiatives, through impact. Like it's, it's become much more than just a Slack group. It's community, it's movement, and it's powered by our generation. Like the only reason it works is because we're all tied to the central mission of making our industry more accessible, more inclusive, and it's very easy for people to buy into that mission, even if they're not Gen Z. Like that is why we have these like cultural moments. And also I think success around our initiatives is it's not just Megan, like building things for herself or building things for her friend. It's like everyone coming together to make this like monumental change. Um, and then as far as like what doesn't work, I mean, I think like there's a lot of things that don't work in the community. I think like, first of all, figure out where to build your community. If you're building a community that you want to scale, don't use Slack. If I've learned anything, <laughs> it is don't use Slack. Cause Gen CBCs has, we've had like 225,000 plus messages in our community in a year. That is insane. If you look at like any online Slack communities, like nothing gets close to that type of engagement, but like Slack is not built to scale. Like it is very hard to access those messages because we're on the free plan. Mm-hmm. And Slack, when we were at like 8,000 members, they're like, they quoted me, they're like, oh, it'd be like $80,000 a month to be on the paid plan of Slack. And I flipped out naturally because I was like, this is a free community. Like that is, I mean, like <laughs> Gen ZBC's bank account is my bank account. Like I wish I had that type of money, but I certainly don't. So it was like, and you lose all that momentum if you move like if you port your community from one place to another. So like, we're probably always going to be on Slack. Um, but that was like, you know, because it didn't set out to start a community from day one, it wasn't set up for success in the very early days. I think also making sure that you like own distribution with your audience um, in the early days is also really important. That's something I wish I did. Um, but again, because Gen ZBC's starting the community was kind of an accident. Um, I didn't like set up these things on day one. Uh, I like to think, the, the, what I usually say is like, Gen ZBC's the viral community was a bit of an accident on day one, but the moment it became a thing, uh, I've been super, super and hyper intentional about everything thereafter. And that's how I built the brand. Um, and so the brand is obviously driven by the community, but the brand I think stands for, for a lot of other things that people can identify with. Super cool. Just hearing about how this organically formed and, uh, you know, when breaking down communities, the best communities are rooted in a shared sense of belonging. So even if you didn't go out to say, I'm going to build a successful community, um, you just wanted to bring people together. You wanted to make sure that they felt heard. Um, you wanted to provide people with tools that they needed to be successful. I think that's super powerful. And, um, you just said it yourself. I mean, it's not just a Slack group. It's not just a community. I mean, you are also offering some really, really high powered resources that I want to talk about a little bit. Um, I know recently you saved founders, first time founders over $5 million. Um, I'd love for you to kind of talk about some of the new um, resources that you've rolled out attached to Gen ZVC within this marketplace. 
Totally. Yeah. So that we, we launched a, a marketplace for founders uh, just about two weeks ago. And like you mentioned, we've saved founders about $5 million in just two weeks. That's and the thinking around it, like every initiative that we do is community led. And this is no different. Um, I get a lot of questions from founders. Like, like I have a public Twitter presence, which is great. Right. So a lot of founders will ask me questions that sometimes I don't know where it's like, what should I use for product analytics or um, what, which do you think is better, like Rippling or JustWorks? Or like, like there's always these questions that it's really tough for me to answer. And also there's never been a central place to find all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like founders on day one are wasting a ton of time doing all the work, the research, like, okay, like this is how much I can save with Rippling. Oh, I need to have venture funding to be able to work with XIZ. Like that is kind of the narrative that's been around. And I get those questions from founders all the time in the community uh, where they're like, where should I start? And I'm like, this need, like, I need to productize this. And initially I was going to just like put together an air table of discounts, but then again, full circle, there's a company called Build First. They create like community-based marketplaces, which is where ours lives. They posted a job on our job board. Um, we, we have a job board. We see like 500 plus applications every month to, again, create accessibility for the next generation to find jobs in venture and tech. And so I saw this job posting and I was tweeting about it because they did a featured post and I was like, I was like, this is literally what I've been looking for. So I sent them a cold email. I was like, obsessed. I was like, need, needy, need. Talk to me. Want to learn more? And <laughs> and they were like, okay, like yeah, let, let, let's let's do a marketplace. And I was like, okay, we're gonna do it right. So I think that the interesting thing is like, I could have launched a built first marketplace in November, December. I could have turned it on the next day and been mm -hmm. good. To but the only reason it works and that it found, found like viral success is because we built it with the community. So I literally spoke to and surveyed like 70 founders, similar to how I launched the community and asked, I was like, what does your startup stack look like? What do you wish you had, but you don't right now? And I went and like all of those companies that came up, it was something like 280 companies. I was like cold emailing, hustling, getting emails, getting interest from Built First team to each of those partnerships teams. Because my hope was that after we put together this marketplace, I could go back to each of those 70 founders and be like, you asked for a discount to Brex, you got it. You asked for a discount to JustWorks, you got it. Airtable, Notion, you got like, that is literally what I spent months doing was just hounding partnerships teams to be like, what kind of discounts can you give me? Do you wanna be a part of this marketplace? Help us market it, get the word out. This is gonna be really big and huge. And then that's exactly what I did. I like went back to all those founders. They all shared it the day that we launched because they were very happy that they got their discounts. I had students sharing the word on college campuses because a lot of the discounts applied to them. I had mm -hmm. campus ambassadors doing the same thing. Um, I also had VCs sharing it with their founders. Like a lot of VCs don't have this type of infrastructure where they're like, yes, on day one that we are onboard a portfolio company, like here are all our vendor discounts. Like Gen Z VCs is that home for everyone. And the idea is, you shouldn't have better access to this type of information or discounts just because you're a second time founder or, uh, you know, maybe you have more resources or funding, like every, this should be democratized for everyone. And that was my big belief. And Gen Z founders are usually at a disadvantage because they're first time founders and they're going through this for the first time. Like this was built with young people in mind and also with the lens of their peers. Like this is what your peers are currently using. So this is what you should be thinking about. So that's why, like, again, I could have launched it months ago and been totally fine. But the reason that we've saved founders $5 million in a span of two weeks is because I did it with the community in mind and really big, like 
we had tons of people sharing it on our launch day, like companies that have their own priorities being like, we're excited to partner with Gen ZBCs and the next generation, check out our discount on their marketplace. We love what they're doing. Um, that is how we get that massive reach and create that type of impact. It's not just turning something on and calling it a new initiative. It's like, I'm mm -hmm. so, so picky about, and this is where I spend the most of my time as a founder, like any founder, it's like high level strategy. Like how can we bring this brand and our impact to new heights? You can't say yes to everything. This was something that I knew needed to exist. I saw the pain point firsthand and I was like, I'm going to build this. And we did. And it was massively successful. Um, and I'm just so excited because again, it's like, it, it is like changing, it is changing people's lives. We're like, I, I spoke at launch house, the founder reached out to me. She's like, I saved like $200,000 from your marketplace. Thank you so much. And it was someone I'd never met before, but she was like, I just love, like, it was so helpful to me and I'm so happy I get to meet you today. Um, that is real intangible impact that goes beyond myself. It goes beyond the brand. It is just like truly with like, just, just helping people, helping people get started. And like your job as a VC, I think, especially is to help founders. What better way to do that than by helping any and every founder um, get started on day one. So that's kind of the, the context behind that launch, but also one that I'm just super proud of, but also just really excited about because you can't ignore that type of impact. Such a big accomplishment creating this again, Megan. I mean, you really built this from nothing into something that has such a strong impact. I think a lot of people are going to assume and probably already assume that like, I mean, there's a whole operation behind this, but I really want to be redundant with the point that yes, I mean, you have a lot of support. People love what you're doing and, you know, want to see it grow, but this is kind of a one woman show. I mean, you are, you are the brains behind this and you are building this into something really powerful and you're just scratching the surface as well. So already providing this much value this early, I'm just, uh, in shock to, and I'm really excited to see, you know, what comes next. Um, so I kind of have more of a forward looking question. Doesn't have to do with any, well, maybe partially could have to do with Gen ZVC, but um, obviously you contribute a lot of pieces to blockchain technology. You're very bullish on crypto and you really, um, you know, are constantly trying to help people, you know, our peers um, understand how to make their mark in this industry or like, you know, where they should be putting their time um, and attention. Uh, so, you know, we'll kind of start with the large question. Why are you so bullish on the blockchain? Um, and then the second question, any resources um, that you have for young people, it could be your own pieces as well that you'd recommend we check out uh, to learn about how to get a start in this, in this space. Totally. I think of everything from the context of like my lived experiences as a fan and consumer and also culture. Like, I think it's, I think the conversation is actually less about the blockchain and more about how it empowers consumers, right? Like when you think about, like, I think one of, one of the things that I think about a lot is like, I think the next generation are, we're inherently going to be gamers. This is like what we grew up doing. We might sure. not consider ourselves like professional gamers or even casual gamers, but like we grew up gaming. I grew up playing Webkins and Club Penguin and The Sims and like where people are spending time now and like the metaverse, it's, it's a lot of gaming, right? The idea that you can actually be incentivized for staying and participating in the economy makes sense. Gen Z loves side hustles, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to just be selling things on Depop. You can be gaming and make money on the side. Um, one of the, one of the companies we just invested in at Lear Hippo, uh, it's an investment I led called Nifty League. They're creating a like play to earn gaming and also metaverse where effectively over time you can you have like your nft character that you're playing in the game but then over time you can actually they're building out like a rental economy where you can rent that character out and actually make money from it like that is like real intangible impact again for for consumers and also like this is kind of just where the world is moving right um 
I, I am not incentivized. Like, even though I was a fan, I've been a fan of Taylor Swift from like the very beginning and I'm a top 2% fan on Spotify. That means nothing when I go to buy tickets, all the fans that didn't get Olivia Rodrigo tickets in New York, even though they're the 0.005% top fans on Spotify, like that is messed up. You know, what fixes that? Uh, web three, web three fixes that. Like if you can incentivize your top fans and your early fans in a very material way, you may like, you inherently are going to like, it, it makes, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and this is where brands are going, right? Like when I think about the getting the next billion plus consumers into this world, um, it's going to happen through the con context of fandom, like Ariana Grande holding concerts in Fortnite. Like, I don't care if I've never played Fortnite before. If I, if Ariana Grande is going to be there, I'm going to be there. <laughs> like this is like this is how I think about like the the world of Web three and the metaverse, like especially on the consumer side. And like I'm seeing a bunch of things on the enterprise side too, because I'm a generalist. But generally, I actually try to ignore the like. I I, I try to think really really big picture about just like where is the world moving moving and how does this make sense in the context of like the problems that I see as a consumer, mm -hmm. um, and that my sisters see and my cousins see and my you know my parents see in some contexts. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I think about the, the Web3 metaverse stuff. And in terms of resources, so I will certainly recommend you read my 26 page manifesto on the metaverse. It's a lot of like just breaking down terms and like, why do NFTs matter? What is the difference? Like, what, what is the difference between Adidas launching a, an NFT project with 30,000 people versus Dolce & Gabbana launching one with nine? Both are great, but for different reasons. Like there's a lot of just different nuances. And also, I think demystifying the metaverse, like so many people still think the metaverse is just VR and people walking around with headsets and like tomorrow. That's not true. It's an 800 billion opportunity by 2024. And that's comprehensive of virtual reality, but also augmented reality mm -hmm. and gaming and virtual worlds and things that you wouldn't even consider being the metaverse. And, you know, questions like what is an open metaverse versus a closed metaverse? Why does it matter? Uh, and like, what are the implications of that? Like, there's just a lot to unpack, um, which is why it's such a long piece. But uh, I thought it was really important because I was learning along the way and I just like kept going and kept going. And I was like, God, that's like, I, this could be 50 pages if I wanted it to be. Um, so I think I would definitely recommend checking that out. I think, I think Gabby's web three reading list is also really great. Like if you're like starting on day one, like learning about web three, that's awesome. I also would recommend checking out like the crypto job boards, like see what type of companies are hiring. Mm -hmm. I think that gives a really good indication of kind of, you know, what does the world look like today? Like which companies are clearly doing well and hiring lots of people? Like you'll see a lot of people hiring, or a lot of people looking to work at Dapper and work at Genies. Genies is one of our portfolio companies. Bob Iger just joined the board. Today, yeah. <laughs> today, literally today. That is wild. Like that is a huge win for Web3. Like this man that has spent like, 25 years building one of the most successful like entertainment companies is joining a web three metaverse company and spending Insane. like his time there on the board. Like that is a real intangible win for Akash, the entire genies team, and obviously all the investors on board. Like it is so fun to kind of like see that materialize. Like last, last week I was in LA and I was meeting and like just jamming with like genies head of product. Uh, his name is James and he's awesome. Like see all of that come together is just like the coolest thing in the entire world. Um, so those are my recommendations, but you can't like, there's, I don't know if there's necessarily a wrong answer. Like, I think like, like anything in the creator economy and like web three, I think is innately tied to community and creators. And um, 
where the world is moving, like follow the thought leaders that you respect and that you enjoy learning from, because oftentimes they will have interesting things to say. Like I think Packy McCormick is another, like he just mm-hmm. writes great newsletters on, you know, web three, where the world's moving and it gets into great deals because of it. There were three super special things that you just said. Um, I want to make sure that everybody listens and understands. You're so those. good at synthesizing. You're of course, so I try. I try my best. You know, I'm a moderator. Um, so <laughs> yeah, number one um, that you mentioned is uh, go into this knowing that there is a lot to unpack. Um, knowing that like you're not just going to understand everything with the metaverse by end of day today. I mean, you know, take your time, find the right resources, and um, you know, really just. I don't think you need to feel rushed. I mean, you know, we're we're it's so early. Um, in the space and like people are just starting to get into it. And I think that's completely fine. So, you know, go into it knowing you might be a little overwhelmed, um, but you know, there's no need to kind of figure it out all on day one. Um, number two that you said, you know, find thought leaders, people who are already building in the space, companies kind of look to see where they're hiring at. I think that's a great resource as well. Um, and the most important one that you mentioned, follow the culture as always. I think everybody's talking about the ownership side of this. At the end of the day, where's the culture going? Um, I think that can be very telling um, about how the future is going to look. And I totally agree with everything that you mentioned with the gaming, um, you know, what our generation is incentivized with and what we're interested in. Got to follow the culture. So I think that's a wonderful point. And overall, Megan, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. We we covered a lot of ground, um, hearing about your personal journey, your background, the development of Gen Z VC, your advice for building in public. And of course, you know why you're so bullish on this space. So just want to say thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, thank you. It was, it was great. It was great chatting. And um, I'm excited to see all the other future guests that you interview too. Awesome. Thank you.